0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, I want to jump into scripture, though, and um, read from Habakkuk chapter 2. We're starting Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, we've been two months in Habakkuk chapter one. So we're moving verse by verse, sometimes (laughs) word by word, uh, rather slowly through this. Uh, There's so much in it uh, for us and for these times, for the day that we live in, um, that I feel like it's so applicable. The Lord spoke to me back in January about preaching through Habakkuk. And I mean, I've read through Habakkuk, but I have never seriously studied through Habakkuk um, until this sermon series. And I felt like we were to do it starting um, back in May. And so that was our plan when we looked at the year and just planned it out. And we had, of course, in January, that was long, long, long time ago, long before COVID, long before um, so many riots, long before so much has happened. And I couldn't have imagined then what I, what I now live with as a constant reality. And um, That's kind of the way life goes sometimes. That's the way, uh, that's certainly the way America is right now. And I think the entire world has just been caught off guard. Uh, But one thing that's really cool is that God gave me Habakkuk beforehand. And so we jumped into Habakkuk, which starts off with a complaint about God. Really, the whole book is a lamentation. It's, God, why is this stuff happening? And so it's been a perfect book for us to go through as a church. And the Lord's been revealing so many things out of it for us. And now we're getting into the good stuff. So we're getting into chapter 2. So um, we're going to start <clears throat> in chapter 2, verse 1. I don't know, do we have any water bottles? Yes. All right. yeah, cool. If I could get... Uh, it doesn't matter. Any water would be great. Um, but we're going to read from chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, I'm going to read from the New Living translation. So I don't usually preach from the New Living, but I like the way it broke down three primary verbs for us here. In the New Living Translation. We're just going to look at chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So there's three main verbs I want to look at. Number one, I will climb up to my watchtower. Number two, I will stand at my guard post. And number three, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Um, In the original language, the word for answer my complaint actually means to rebuke or to correct. So if you're reading in the King James Version, he says, I will wait to see how the Lord, how he will correct me or rebuke me, I think is what the King James says. New King James says how he will correct me. Um, And that's that's not a typo. Uh, So to answer my complaint... uh, uh, Habakkuk is looking for a particular kind of answer. Um, It's called correction. And so I know in the 21st century that's a bad thing. Um, We're usually looking more for affirmation. Uh, But it is good to note that uh, correction doesn't have to be bad, that Habakkuk is looking for correction. He desires correction because as he has been stating throughout chapter one, he doesn't understand what's going on. So he obviously is not seeing the whole picture. He obviously is not seeing what God is doing or, or else he wouldn't have all these questions. So to have questions means that you're not seeing the whole uh, picture, which means you're going to need some correction. Really, he's just asking God to course correct him, to redirect him, to, to point him in the right direction because he doesn't understand what's happening. And so whenever you see God, if you really want to hear from God, you're going to have to learn to enjoy some level of correction. Uh, maybe not on a, a brutal level, maybe not, uh, not asking God to hit him over the head with a bat, but to correct his course, to recognize that the way I am oriented, the way I naturally see things might not be the right way. Um, God, correct me, direct me, guide me, tell me, show me where I'm off, show me where I'm, I'm missing it and um, whenever you come to god with that kind of attitude that's when you hear from god so that's part of actually the book of habakkuk is it's a template for how to effectively hear from god um and we've been talking about that throughout this time we're talking about wild faith the kind of faith as the scripture says those who come to god must have faith they must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him so without faith it is impossible to please god so we've been talking about the kind of faith that can handle difficulty the kind of wild faith that can handle hardship and that's the kind of faith that habakkuk has and so we see his complaints throughout chapter one but now in chapter two his 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 tone changes i guess uh, which is probably why they chose to to divide the chapters in this way because this is still part of his prayer he's winding down his response to god and he ends it with this he says okay i've done i've done talking and um The baby's not done talking. Martin's still got some complaints. Uh, He said, I'm done talking, but I'm going to now do something. Three things, actually, Habakkuk's going to do. And I think these are three things which are key to anybody who wants to hear from God. Number one, I will climb up to my watchtower. Number two, I will stand at my guard post. And number three, I will wait for him to speak to me or to correct me. And so I want to talk about those three verbs. Uh, The first one is to climb uh into his watchtower now habakkuk didn't actually have a watchtower uh, because he wasn't actually a watchman Um, he's speaking you know metaphorically here he 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 he's talking about himself as a as a prophet and somebody who's going to god uh, on behalf of the people as a priest now he's coming to people on behalf of god as a prophet and that's what a watchman would do. And I think it was Ezekiel where God told Ezekiel that he would make him like a watchman um, on the walls of Israel, where he would see what was coming, he would see what was down the road, and he would inform or he would alert the community that was behind him. Uh, and in those ancient times, they built cities, and around the cities they built these big walls. And on top of the walls, they built towers. They were towers that... Uh, various men would take shifts throughout the night, standing in the watchtower, watching the horizon, seeing if if, if an enemy was coming, they needed to alert the city, or if uh, uh, if, if, if another delegation from, an, from a friendly country was coming, they needed to alert the city to open the gates. Um, that's what he's referring to. He's saying basically, in the spirit, I have a watchtower in the spirit. There's a place that I can go and I can look over the horizon of my life and of not only my life but the horizon of the spirit realm and see what god is doing so he's once again he's not looking for demons he's not looking uh for the antichrist he's not looking you know to see if obama really was and then he wasn't and then maybe he was i don't know and maybe now it's trump like he that's he's not that's not what he's doing He's not looking for evil. If you look for evil, you'll find it. If you look for demons, you will find them. If you look for the devil under every rock, you'll, you'll find him. Uh, but instead he's looking for God. If you wanna hear from God, you have to learn how to look for God. And this is what he does. He, he says, I'm gonna to climb to my watchtower and I'm gonna see how he will answer me. He's looking for a word from God. And so I think that's one of the significant points in terms of hearing from God in these times. Um, we, have to, we have to climb. So he, the, the climbing part is important because the only way that, that a watchtower would be effective if, is if it's at a higher vantage point than you could see just, just by yourself. That's why they build watchtowers so that you could see more. You get a, a taller perspective than what you could just simply see at your human eye level. And so if we want to hear from God, you, you, you have to get higher than your human level. You have to get higher than you can see and think on your own. Uh, I know like in in terms of the metaphor that he's building for us, there's an entire city of people who are at eye level. There's an entire city of people who are down here who are living life at this lower level. And he says, I'm gonna go to a higher level so that I can see what God is saying. I can see what God is doing. So that's my first encouragement to us. Uh, During this season, I don't care if you're here in in the, the, the Taylor's living room or if you're watching online or if you're in person at City Chapel, you're sitting there watching on the big screen, You need to find a higher level. You must go to a higher level than just what everybody else is living at. Uh, Facebook is at a certain level, all right? Instagram is at a certain level. Social media lives on a certain level. They live in a certain plane. The news media lives on a certain level. And it doesn't matter if you're Fox or CNN, they're all at this particular level. What humans can perceive, what humans can see. But if you wanna hear from God, you have to get to a higher level. Well, Well, what does it mean to get to a higher level? Well, one, Uh, He says, I will climb, which means I have to put effort into this. I'm climbing into a watchtower. A watchtower is not a place where they held parties. It's not a place where a bunch of people would congregate. It is a place of isolation. It's a place of singularity. It's a place where I am pursuing God by myself. I'm not, see, he just heard from God all of chapter one, and then he responded to God, and most of us would respond with our complaints to God and then say, I'm going to go talk to somebody about this. (laughs) I'm going to go post this on Facebook. I'm going to go see what so-and-so thinks about this. I'm going to go talk, and and there's there's benefit to community, but when you really want to hear from God, sometimes you have to climb up to a place of singularity, a place of solace, a place of solitude where only God is. Because if you want to get man's perspective, talk to man. If you want to get God's perspective, you must talk to God. So prayer is climbing into a tower where you are going to look for what God is doing in your life, for what God is saying to you and about you. And that's, that's also important. When I, say, when I say climbing to a higher level, I mean like, you, like there's, there's low levels of thinking that we get stuck in. There's human levels of thinking that we get stuck in, and and uh, if you and, and, and it's different for all of us. So if, I can't just tell you what a low level of thought is because it's going to be different based on based on your carnality, <laughs> based on your sin. That's that's how your level of thinking will be. And so for some of us, our low level of thinking is this is this entitled. Uh, I deserve this. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to decide what I'm how I'm going to live. Right. Uh, for some of us, that is our low level of thinking. It's all self-centered. It's all uh, it's all about me and my comforts. Uh, one of my favorite movies was um, Joe versus the volcano, and there's a there's a scene in Joe versus the volcano where uh, Tom Hanks plays Joe, and Joe's talking to the girl he's going to end up with, and um, uh, he says they're they're out in the middle of this boat in this ocean, and he says and he says, do you believe in God? And um, she stops for a minute she says, well, I believe in myself. It's Meg Ryan, this character. She says, I believe in myself. And he like, looks at her, he's like, what does that mean? And she says, well, uh, I trust myself and um and uh, uh Tom Hanks kind of steps back and he's like you know I've been doing some soul searching lately because in the movie he found out he had like 3 months to live or something and it's a silly movie but he has a brain cloud and uh, <laughs> i knew it and so he 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 he, he says i've been doing some soul searching lately and i found out I don't have any interest in myself. I start thinking about myself, I get bored. And uh, she, you know, she, 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 she kind of laughs. And I, I think there really are two main kinds of people, the kind of people that are, that, are, that are interested in themselves in terms of God, and they have no other reference. They don't have anything above them. They, they are at the highest level in their life. They call the shots. They make the, the decisions. They often end up miserable, as Meg Ryan's character was, um, because they end up compromising. And they end up in stuck in sin. But then there are other people, uh, I guess like Tom Hanks' character, that maybe they, they aren't interested in themselves, but they're interested in some other ideal. For Tom Hanks, he was interested in courage. That was his thing. And, but we're all interested in some kind of imagined ideal. And so for us, low level of thinking would be, uh, like I know people, like, they don't feel like they're hearing from God unless they're beating themselves up about something. Like God only speaks in terms of condemnation. God only tells them how terrible they are and the low level of thinking they have to rise above and which we've been singing about today was you're a good good father uh, i am who you say i am those kinds of things are combating i guess a traditionally religious mindset that that woe is me i'll never rise above anything i'll never be uh good enough we're all just sinners i can't ever i can't ever escape the mistakes i made in my past like that's a low level of thinking because, because that's that's human that's human thinking and it's true. Like, so it was like we were talking to the kids just recently about reincarnation. They were asking about why different religions believe in re- reincarnation. And I said, well, because they have to, because they don't believe in a savior. They don't believe in a, a man named Jesus who died once and for all for their sins to free them for their sins. So they actually have to get better and better and better in order to make up for their sins. But even then, they don't have a way to forgive all the junk that they did, you know, three thousand years ago when they were a cow, like when they were a bad cow, you know. And so then they got they got sent back as like a, as a cat, and then like they you know which is the worst thing ever. And then you kind of rise above that to a puppy, and then eventually they make it to a cow again. And eventually, if they can keep doing better and better, because they don't have a savior, so they have to figure out some way to redeem themselves. And and that's the great, that's why it's a cult, that's why it's not Christianity, because Christianity brings Jesus Christ, he is the answer, he is the And so there's this higher level of thinking that God wants to bring us to, where it's not about I can do whatever I want, I'm my own God, and it's also not about I have to somehow atone for my sins and somehow become a better person to to really experience change. But rather, when you get up to this higher level, you can start to see God's solution for sin, God's solution for mistakes, God's solution. And so we we must rise to a higher level. I want to I want to call City Chapel. Anybody watching this? Anybody joining us um, to a higher level, a higher level of thinking, a higher level of living. It's it's time to put away compromise is time to put away stuff that we know is wrong and we just think that maybe we'll get away with it or maybe god's not ignoring it because he hasn't struck us down yet we need to put away sin we need to put away compromise we need to put away even gray areas that we think oh i don't know if that's right or wrong well if you don't know then it's time to just put it in the wrong category because you're not going to hear from god at this low level of thinking or low level of living so low levels of thinking and low levels of living do not hear from God. There's an entire group in in, 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 in in Habakkuk's day and in his metaphor, there's an entire group of people who are happily sleeping and living within a city at a particular level. And Habakkuk says, I've been living at that level and I don't wanna live at that level anymore because that level is discouraging, that level is monotonous, that level doesn't bring any answers to the problems that are facing us, and I am stuck with this with this angst inside of me, so I'm going to go to another level. I'm going to go to a higher level where I can actually hear from God. If you want to hear from God, you have to abandon lower thinking, lower living. You have to step away from that. You have to walk away from compromise. It, other people, may it may be working out for them and it may seem like there's no problems in their life, but I'm telling you, uh, you're gonna only hear from God in the watchtower. When you climb and you get away from uh, the coffee house, you get away from the marketplace, you get away from the living room even, you get away from the convenience and you step into the watchtower and you, you, you on purpose, like this is, a, this is a, a, an act of the will. He says, I will climb, I will stand and I will wait. This is a decision that he's making. He's not waiting to be overcome at a Hillsong conference. He's not waiting to get this rush of emotion and suddenly feel like, okay, okay, now I'm feeling it. You know, like, this, like someone once asked me, like, how do you how do you finally feel like raising your hands? I said, well, you you don't. Like, like when, like I don't know when. I mean, I guess at some point some people do. Some some people are more extroverts, but for some of us introverts, I, I never just feel overwhelmed like, oh, I just have to raise my hands and. In worship, I can happily just sit there and listen to God and and do all of that. But, what this is going to go 12 times by the way, Uh, (laughs) because we're an hour ahead. Uh, But the the truth is that I didn't start raising my hands in worship because I I felt like it. I started raising my hands in worship because Scripture says to lift up holy... uh, Paul said under the unction of the Holy Spirit that he wished that men everywhere would lift up holy hands. And and the Psalms is replete with several instructions. To not only lift up hands but to spin when you non-charismatics, to spin to shout, do all kinds of crazy stuff. And when do you ever feel like that? I don't I don't really feel like sometimes you have to simply read that it's in the word of God and then make a decision to be obedient to the word of God. And that's how you get up to a higher level. You don't suddenly Feel an unction to get to a higher level. You make one decision, and that's a step. Another decision, that's another step. Another decision, that's another step. And you move slowly toward the place where you will be able to see what God is saying, to see what God is doing. He says, I will climb to my watchtower. I am determined. I, I it, it, Meaning, because like whatever you're content to live with, the level you're content to live with, that's where you'll stay. The level that you're content with, that's where you'll stay. And until you have a hunger for more, until you have a hunger for higher, until you have a hunger for greater. Which is why actually like the difficulty is not that is not that it's not a deterrent. Difficulty is sometimes pushing us towards something higher. Apparently Habakkuk was happy for the previous multiple decades of his ministry to be living down here below, to be talking with people, to be interacting with people on that level. And now all of a sudden his country's falling apart because uh, his king has died and evil is coming into his neighborhood. And now all of a sudden he says, wait a minute, I'm not content down here anymore. I have to hear from God. So I don't even, I'm, not even, I'm not even upset about the difficulty that's hitting us because it's driving many of us to hear from God. And it is causing people to question God. It is causing people to ask questions they haven't asked before. And if you're honest enough, you might want to put that in the comment. That Yeah, I've been asking questions I haven't been asking before. I've been looking into things I haven't been looking into before. I've been, I've been wondering about things I haven't been wondering before. Well, what, what caused that? The, the, the dis- absolute disruption of my daily life, the absolute disruption of my sense of security, the absolute dis- disruption of our, of our national sense of security, the disruption of, of the norms caused me to question God. And that's fine. That's good. You, you, because when you're living down there, you don't question stuff. Because yeah, everybody thinks the same, and we all talk the same, and we all agree. When you're living in the echo chamber of your, of your culture, you don't question stuff. But when that when that gets smashed, you begin to question things. And those questions can sometimes drive us, they ought to drive us to the tower. They ought to drive us to the place where we say, I need to hear from God. I've, I've heard enough from CNN, I need to hear from God. I've heard enough from my friends and my family, I need to hear from God. It's fine to you know, hear from all these other places, but when, 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 danger, when real danger hits, when real trouble hits, those aren't working anymore. Those aren't effective anymore. And for the first time in a generation, we now have a global uh, pandemic, a global virus that we don't have a vaccine for. Like ever since World War II, when we came out with pen- penicillin, suddenly people didn't have to worry about dying because they caught a cold. And so for the first time in a generation, you could die from this particular cold. And, and we are losing our minds. And we probably need to because our minds were not rested on the word of God. We were rested on this false sense of security. So get to your tower. Get higher. If you want to hear from God, get higher. Lift, lift yourself. Lift yourself in your mind. Lift yourself in your life. Make decisions that move closer to God instead of further away from God. Rise above these low levels of thinking. And then he says, I will stand at my guard post. I will stand at my guard post. Now, now the the guard post is another metaphor uh, having to do with along the wall. Um, So he, he he literally says, I'll stand on the rampart, I think is what the King James says. On the rampart, meaning the wall that's around the city. Uh, and me the rampart means a wall that is a circumference which which is why um i think it was um, batterson who wrote the book um the circle maker and um somehow he got a weird translation out of this passage so i don't know if you read the circle maker it's a book about prayer and there's some good stuff in it but there's also some strange things in it and one of the strange things is he says he believes you ought to draw a circle like around yourself and like stand in the circle and pray I, I, I don't know. But I, he took the, one of the passages he took was from this passage right here where it says where, where Habakkuk says, I will stand on the rampart. And so he said that Habakkuk said, I'll stand in my circle. Um, that's not actually in the text. It's a circle of a city. Um, and one of the one of the downsides of drawing a circle around yourself and saying, I'm not going to leave this circle until God answers me. Usually when you draw a circle around yourself, most of your prayers are about yourself. And that's the downside, I think, of of uh, of, of Batterson's book, because a lot of times they're praying people people praying for blessings for themselves, people praying for breakthrough for their selves or their family. Basically, like everything within the circle is what's really important to me, and they draw a circle right around themselves, and it's like, yeah, that's not usually the way God works. Typically, I mean, now, now now, now, Satan and the satanic cults are constantly praying within circles. You know, you get a circle of candles, you get the pentagram with a circle and all that kind of, that's how you conjure up. So you gotta be careful. Usually when God, I don't know, God does have people walk in circles sometimes and pray like around Jericho, but that was to destroy an enemy circle. Like they encircle the circle to destroy it. I don't know. So I'm not sure about circles, but I do know that Habakkuk says, I'm not gonna draw a circle around myself. I'm going to actually get on the wall that is encircling other people. And I think that's, that's a really important point. When you, when, when you wanna hear, if you really wanna hear from God, uh, you can't just seek God for blessings for yourself. The whole purpose of a watchman is he is on the wall for people who are not on the wall. He is on the tower for people who are not in the tower. And if you're not careful, you get this spiritual elitist thing, you are know, like I'm going to the tower and I only care about other people who are also in towers. And so if you're in a tower, I'll talk to you. If you're in a tower, I'll help you financially. But if you're not in a tower, you're one of those low level people, then I'm not really concerned about you. That's the exact opposite of people in the tower. The whole purpose of the people in the tower was to, was to see what God was doing to translate that to people who are not in the tower. So if we are stuck in our tower, we never come down from our tower. you you, you lost the purpose of the tower. This is not about you and your family and a little circle around you and having breakthrough for you. It's about breakthrough for your community. It's about breakthrough for your nation. It's about breakthrough for your church. We're talking God has a global plan here. He's doing something in the earth, and it's not just about the guys in the tower. So he wants to speak to those who are in the tower, but those who are in the tower want to speak to those who are not in the tower cannot remove yourself from others. And so it's not just, so this is one of the aspects of standing. When he says, I will stand at my guard post, the word guard post means uh, an assigned spot. So it actually has to do with like like a duty. I have a place that my superior has appointed to me. And if I'm not in that place, then there is gonna be great loss for other people. Do you see how that works? I have an assigned place in my generation. I have an assigned place in 2020. I have an assigned place from God. There's a place he has called Harry James Fleming Jr. to be at, and if I am not in that place, then people who are supposed to hear from me, people who are supposed to be influenced by me and won't be influenced, they won't hear, and they'll stay living at the lower level. And if I have a place, each and every person in this room has a place. Everybody watching online, you don't have to be ordained to have a place. You don't have to, you don't have to have a have a have a have, a, have an iPad Bible and a fake book to, to, to have a place. You don't have to have a wireless microphone and have a, a pastor in front of your name and be on stage to be a, to have a place. You don't have to be a worship leader. Like everyone has a place. God has a place for every single person that He has saved in this generation. And, and, and there are people that are counting on your obedience. There are people that are waiting for you to take your place. And so this is what's so important that your place is not just about you. It's not just about a circle that it's like, well, I'm gonna miss out on my blessing. Well, I mean, maybe, but other people are gonna miss out on salvation. Mm-hmm. This is important, our place, your place in Michigan, in Austin, in Buda, in Kyle, wherever you are, you have a place and that place is important. And if you don't, like you need to take your place. You need to rise. So it's not just about leaving lower living and lower thinking so that you can get this great blessing that God has for you on the tower. No, it's about the people that you're living around and the people in our community, they're relying on and waiting on the church to take her place. Yeah. And, so, and the enemy will do anything to try to stop you from taking the place. He, 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 will, he, will, he will mess with your mind. He will mess with your, with your living. That's why he's trying to keep you in lower living and lower thinking so that you don't take your place. And it's so important that the people of God rise up and take their place. You might not even, like, he doesn't even say he's a gifted watchtower guy. We don't even know how well Habakkuk's eyes worked. We just assume that he had good eyes. I don't know that he had good eyes or not. You know, and he says, I'm going to go to the watchtower. We, 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 we limit ourselves whenever we start judging ourselves based on what we think the best watchtower guy would do. Well, I guess I'm not the best and so-and-so is probably a better watchtower guy. <clears throat> so I'll let him take my place. But the problem is he can't take your place. Only you can take your place. Only you can stand at your position on the watchtower <clears throat> and minister to people who are behind you. And I can take my place and I, I, I'm trying to, <clears throat> if I can just get some water, take my place better. <clears throat> I, can, I can take my place. And, and try to, but if you don't, if I encourage you to take your place, then all you've done is like hope that Pastor Harry gets up there on his place and does his thing and, and, and it's not going to be enough. Because my place is my place, your place is your place. And if you don't take your place, no matter how many other people take their place, there's a part on the wall that will not be filled. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a part of the wall that when God is moving there, and when God is answering there, and when God is saying something, because God will say something to me that he won't say to you and God will say something to you that he won't say to me. Because you have a different place on the wall. You have a different vantage point. You're looking at a different, a different part of the circle. And so everyone must take their place. And that doesn't mean everyone must write books and everyone must preach, but everyone must take their place in, 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 in the sphere that they are in. You rise to your tower and from your tower, you see the place that you ought to take. And God equips you. After you're obedient, not before, by the way, after you step into it, he empowers you. And he he allows you to see the things that you need to see and communicate the things you need to communicate in the way that only you can communicate and to the people that only you can communicate to. And so we are called to take our place. We must take our place. There's so many people that are living in darkness and blindness simply because others haven't taken the place they're supposed to. They haven't moved into the place on the wall. And, and so many times I think we, 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 as Habakkuk, we look around, oh, look all this destruction. What's going on, God? And one of the things God's asking is like, well, have you, have you, have you taken your place? I know you're really, really concerned about all of this, but you're just, you're just down there living just like them, thinking just like them. How about you come up here to this higher level and take your place and actually do something. It'll actually do something about the situation. It'll actually affect and impact your generation. So I want to encourage you, whether you're in Michigan, you're in Texas, like take your place. Come on, let's let's rise up above where you where where, where we've stayed and where we've been, and let's take one step up. Let's take one step up because God is 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 looking for us to do that. Uh, I was talking to somebody this week, and it was, I I, I remembered something that my pastor used to say. Pastor Rusty used to used to talk about how in the book of Acts you had uh, you know 120 people in the upper room the fire of God came down in the upper room in Acts chapter two, uh, and it's literally the birth of the church, the supernatural birth of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire over everybody's head, like wind rushing through the room. Everybody's speaking in tongues so loudly, by the way, that this, the people in the city came and thought they were drunk and so they wanted to shut down because they were shooting off fireworks when it wasn't even 4th of July. But anyway, uh, they were like, like, something's wrong with these people. So they all gather around, like 3,000 people. And Peter steps out, and Peter's kind of loud, and he gets out there. He preaches his message, and 3,000 people get saved that day. And these 120 people then baptize these 3,000 like that's a that's a long day that's i don't know how long that went how many days that went i don't know what kind of revival that was but it was it was the birth of the church the fulfilling of the book of joel the prophecy of joel that he god would pour out his spirit on their sons and daughters and they would prophesy and see visions and all of this wonderful stuff is happening and then at the end of it right 12 of them the 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 former disciples and then one other who got elected to fill in Judas's spot 12 of them go out and change the world turn the world upside down break down racial barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles, break down social barriers between the Romans and the Greeks, break down. I mean, they're, they're just ran, they're like a ramrod into the culture. People are getting saved, they're planting churches, moving to another city, plant another church, Live there for a few years, plant another church, move to another city. And I mean, it's just an explosion uh, from 12 people. But then there are 108 other people. We don't know their names. We don't know what cities they lived in. We don't know if they planted any churches. It seems that there were 12 that turned the world upside down and got disciples and and, and brought them in. Paul being a major one, but others as well, Apollos and different ones. But then there were 108 that just went home and they were uh, moms and dads and sons and daughters and, and shoemakers or sandal makers, I guess, over that work back in the day, tent makers, uh, construction workers. They were, they were on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, baptizing people, healing people, and then going home to take their place on the wall. As on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptizing people, uh, walking with God, moms. And on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptizing people, walking with God, dads. And that's like, so, so if you really want to know how this, how this church came to be, that even 2,000 years later, we're still here talking about this. It wasn't just because of 12 that turned the world upside down. It was also because of 108 that, that not only came alongside and underneath those people and tithed and supported those people and, 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 and opened up their homes for those people, but it was those 108 that, that, that made sure this movement kept going, True. that persisted this movement. They infiltrated the culture. They didn't break down walls. They didn't march. They didn't take down stuff. They infiltrated the culture that they lived in. So that by the time Eusebius comes along, it's about 120 years later, by the time Eusebius comes along, he's writing to a Roman officer and he says, we have infiltrated all of your, all of your systems. You cannot find a single uh, house of politics or governance that we have not infiltrated, that we have not impacted, and so that's why. That's why three hundred years later, it was the state religion because so many people within Rome had given their hearts to God. So many people within Rome. Now it kind of got twisted later on, but anyway, uh, I mean, you you, you have a hundred and eight people that are taking their place, and their place is just as important as a, as, the, as the as the the Peters and the Pauls and the Apollos of the early church. And there's not a disparity between them. And you don't hear those 108 people complaining that they don't have a platform like the 12 people. You don't hear the 12 people complaining the 108 people aren't doing anything. You don't see that division within, within the early church. There weren't some that were wearing masks and some that weren't. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, like you don't see this, this version of I'm better than you because I'm doing this or not doing that. You don't see that in the early church. And there's no place for that in the modern church either. There's no room for that because everybody has a place. Everybody has a place. And I've I've shared that with with, with folks in our church because there are some people, there's some businessmen who can't seem to make it to small groups very often because they're too busy in boardrooms. And I have said, look, your place is in the boardroom. Everybody doesn't have to be in a small group. Some people can get fellowship and connection in other ways that's why we got the men 's breakfast on Saturday mornings right because there, there, there's some you have to know what your place is and, so, and and if you have a man in a boardroom who's making d- godly decisions for a business that can be more powerful than an attendee of a small group who's you know in, con- contributing to the conversation whatever your place is you need to find it and climb up into it and stay in it and walk in it and be faithful in it and then finally, he says, "Wait." And this is the this is the last point that I want to talk to you about. We need to climb. We need to stand. We need to wait. These could also, if I was pastor right, these would be: uh, we need a, a higher perspective, we need a better we need a position, and uh, we need to we need to stick with patience. So we'd have the perspective, position, and patience for pastor right watching today um but no i want to talk to you about waiting because that, that is part of what he's saying he says i will climb to my watchtower i will stand at my guard, guard post and i will wait to see what the lord says and how he will correct me or how he'll direct me and uh, to, to 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 do this really um as i was studying this passage i, I thought of a story that we had read from second kings which is around a similar time um as habakkuk is is writing this is actually Um, I think it's about 12 years before Habakkuk writes this. It would be during Habakkuk's ministry at the beginning of Jehoshaphat's um, reign where he begins to turn to God. Now, the kingdoms of Israel are divided, and uh, I want to go to 2 Kings chapter 3. You're not going to have this um, on the screen uh, because I didn't make slides for this, Um, and it's kind of a long story. So I just want to read along with you. So that you can um, see the story because i think this is a beautiful picture of what i mean by waiting on god actually second kings the entire book is really about it's a it's a sad book it's about the the falling away of the people of god especially the northern kingdom so uh, the northern kingdom called israel um, separated from the southern kingdom called judea and or judah and so the northern kingdom began to compromise first and we see that in second kings where the southern kingdom under Jehoshaphat is still attempting to serve God, but the northern kingdom has basically abandoned God, uh, especially under King Ahab and Jezebel. You Might have heard of them if you're if you've been in the church very long. Um, you know, you might even have been called a Jezebel. That was not a compliment, by the way. Just in case you didn't know, uh, Jezebel was an evil queen, and her husband was much better. Uh, and they led the people of God, the northern kingdom into idolatry worshiping other gods and even killing those that worship the true God and they had a son named Je, uh, jehoram is how I'll pronounce it I think that's how it goes Jehoram is their son okay and what happens when when people turn away from God their 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 kingdom begins to fall apart and that's one, one of the consistent messages of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. It's like, man, if you turn away from God, even what you thought you were secure in, you won't be secure in. And so one of the things that happened pretty much immediately after Ahab and Jezebel died, they left the kingdom to their son, Jehoram, um, one of the things that happened is one of their, their, their neighbors had been paying tribute to the northern kingdom to because uh, they were afraid of them, kind of to help keep them safe. Well, that neighbor, uh, Moab, decided to stop paying tribute. They said, look, the, the the old man and his evil wife are dead. I don't think the young man is going to come after us, and so we're not going to pay tribute anymore. Instead, we're going to fight. And then we see this in verse 6 of 2 Kings chapter 3. It says that Jehoram... Went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. Like he gathered all the troops because Moab had decided to stop paying tribute and he wanted his money. And so he said, "We're going to go. We're going to go fight and get uh, get Moab to fall in line." So he goes around all of Israel and uh, uh, Samaria, the northern kingdom. He gathers he gathers all the troops. And then in verse seven, he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And so Jehoshaphat replies, he says, I will go up with you. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. In other words, we're all Israelites here. If you're in this fight, I'm in this fight with you. So then he said, which way shall we go up? And so the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, answered and said, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. Um, If you're looking on a map and you're looking where Moab was and you're looking where Edom was, Essentially, the king of, of of Israel is saying, "We're going to take them by surprise. We're going to go through the desert. They're going to expect us to come right through our land because they're 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 neighbors of ours, like Canada is neighbors of ours. So instead of just just marching on Canada, we're going to go down through New York and we're going to come up we're going to come up that way for all of our northern folks." You. You're aware of that. For you Texans, New York connects to Canada. Just FYI. Um, So he says, we're going to go the long way around. They're not going to see us coming. They're not going to expect it. We're going to catch them by surprise. We're going to go the long way. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So in order to march through Edom, they had to get permission by Edom. So while they're talking to the king of Edom, king of Edom joins with them. He says, you know what? I have some armies. We'll go with you, help you attack your neighbors. So these three kings now, are marching, and it says in verse 9 that they marched on the roundabout route for seven days. So that's giving you the clue, in case you weren't good at geography, this is the roundabout route. Okay, this is the long way around, and it takes seven days. And then he gives us a little detail here in verse 9. He says, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. Now I, I preached on this passage three I think about three years ago, when we did a whole sermon series on this, this kind of obscure story. And it was really, it was called Just Dig. And I, I thought it was great. And as I was looking at this idea of waiting on God, I was trying to think of how to communicate what I mean by waiting. What I mean by Habakkuk saying that he was waiting in his, in his watchtower. Um, it's different than guys, you waiting for your wife um, at the clothing store. It's different, it's a different kind of waiting. It's different than waiting on uh, the fast food place to prepare your meal, Chick-fil-A, you know, which you you usually don't have to wait very long with Chick-fil-A, but it's different. So you don't, so when we think of waiting, when we think of Habakkuk as waiting, we think of him sitting there with his his cell phone, bringing up his games app, and he's waiting on God, right? Well, waiting is not just about patience, not just about uh, holding off on gratification, Uh, Waiting is is more than that. We see that in the story because we see here that the king of Israel gets with the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they begin marching for seven days. And then he gives us some information. He says, and there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed with them. And the king of Israel said, alas, exclamation point. I think it's in the NIV. He says, what? (laughs) Which I kind of like that better. Uh, This is kind of a King James version. Like, He's been marching for seven days. They're just on the border of Moab. They're about to attack Moab. There's a valley in between them. And on the other side of that valley is the Moabites. And they're getting ready to take them out. And that's when he realizes that they are out of water and apparently have been out of water for some time. Now, you can only live for, I think it's four days without water. Um, Sarah could probably tell us as the nurse here. I think you can live for four days without water. You can live for like 40 some days without food, but you cannot live very long without water and an entire army has been marching through the desert. There's not any Starbucks stops in the desert. This is like driving through Arizona or Arkansas. You know what I'm saying? Like Arkansas or, or like Tennessee, going from one side of Tennessee to the other. Not a single Starbucks stop. Somebody just stretch your hands this way. Let's pray over Tennessee right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, help them to get saved. In Tennessee, get some Starbucks at, at an exit. I know they're. I know they're in the state. Why can't they be on the freeway? Okay. Anyway, uh, you, you, you they, They've been going for seven days, no stops, no water, and they're they're out. And this is when the king of Israel realizes he's in trouble. He's in big trouble. And this is this is this is so us. This is so human, right? He, the king of Israel, the guy who organized this whole trip who gathered all the troops, convinced two other kings to join him, says, alas, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab, right? It's like, God, you forgot to pack my lunch. This is so us, you know, like we organize everything. We don't even pray about it. We organize everything. We don't talk to God about it. We talk to other people. We, We get our plans together. We hedge our bets. We figure everything out. We forget a very vital detail. And then when that comes up, we're like, God has let me down. Where is God in the middle of all this? Well, maybe where you left them, I don't know. Like, why are you just now blaming God for the water? Like you could have, that's something you could have packed. I don't know, uh, uh, Jehoram, if you realize this or not, just like you pack food, just like you got your swords and your shields, you are also supposed to pack water for the animals. You're supposed to figure this stuff out. But no, right away they run into trouble and it's God's fault. And so many of us are like that, right? We go through our life, we don't ask God anything and then things get rough and we say, well, I don't believe in God because if, there, if God was good, bad stuff wouldn't happen. Sometimes bad stuff's happen because you didn't pack any water and, and you just didn't even think about it. And so Jehoram is like, man, God's out to get us. I knew it. He hates me. Uh, But Jehoshaphat says, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So Jehoshaphat has a better response. Let's climb up into the watchtower. Let's ask God. Let's inquire of him. God, why is there no water? Lord, is it just because we're forgetful and and like the water boy, the, (laughs) the water boy missed it? Lord, what's... Why why, why would we go this roundabout way, when there's no water here? Is there no prophet of the Lord we can't inquire of him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, actually, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, this is Elijah's um, protege, Elisha, is with them. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, the, the kind of stuff that Elisha was known for doing, he's just hanging out kind of in the back, I guess, Uh, The king of Israel is at least smart. He knows who to gather around him, right? I mean, he brings the best prophet, brings Jehoshaphat, convinces the king of Edom that he's a good negotiator. And one of the servants says, hey, yeah, Elisha is here. So Jehoshaphat said, well, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom all went down to Elisha, uh, down to his tent. And then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Now, (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like Elisha's being mean um, but really he's, he's explaining a biblical principle that if you haven't turned to God when things are good if you're just turning to God when you're in trouble chances are you're not really desiring to follow God and that's one thing that we find to be true throughout all of life I mean just as a pastor I can tell you if you only call God when things get tough and you can't pay your light bill um, then you may get your light bill paid, but you're you're not going to receive the greater blessing of actually walking with God, because your heart's not in it. And many times that's what happens. And so that's what Elisha is saying. Elisha says, "Why don't you go to the prophets of your father and mother? You know, you know the guys that you would pray to when things were going well, like when when the land was doing well and Moab was paying you all this tribute. You were raking in the money. You were giving all the glory to yourself and to your to your other gods. Why don't you go back?" And, uh, uh, and and the, 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 the king of Israel, his response is so interesting. He says, no, for the Lord has called us, these three kings together, to deliver us into the hand of Moab. In other words, I'm still mad at God, you know. And so Elisha's response, he says, well, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you. So there's obviously some tension in the room, right? Um, but really, he's explaining, like, like Elisha here is a, he's almost a symbol of the spirit of God. That, this, that when, you have, when you have walked with God, then he's happy to receive you in times of trouble. But if you're just coming to God for a handout, if you're just coming to him to, for a get out of jail free card, he sees that. He sees your heart. Now, Jehoshaphat, by the way, seems like he hadn't inquired of the Lord yet either. So it is possible that that hard times can push even people with good motives to actually climb up into their tower. (laughs) They just have compromised their way out of their tower. And Jehoshaphat, though, his heart is toward God. Uh, He's about um, 18 years old at this point, and it was at 17 years old that he discovered... Uh, He discovered the the law, and he began to pursue God. So his heart is toward God. And so Elisha says, look, both of you are coming to God because you're in trouble. One of you is only going to stick with him as long as he fixes things. The other is actually wanting to walk with him. And so the Lord sees his heart. Elisha sees his heart as well. And so Elisha says, look, because Jehoshaphat is here, I'll talk to you. Because somebody actually wants to follow God, that, that's how you hear the word of God. That's why it's so important that, that you get up in your watchtower and that you stand your guard and that you, you actually pursue a relationship with God if you want to hear from him. And so this is what Elisha says. Uh, uh, he says, uh, because of these guys, um, uh, or because of Joseph, I will talk to you. And he says in verse 15, he says, but now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. In other words, sometimes to hear from God, you have to change uh, the soundtrack. Uh, you have to change the environment and the atmosphere. Uh, you, can't, you can't stay in an area of self-pity and hear from God. You can't stay in an area of self-defeat and hear from God. You can't stay in an area, obviously, of sin and hear from God. You have to shift the atmosphere, the atmosphere of worship which is an atmosphere where God is higher than all of your issues, where God is greater than all of your sins, than all of your past. You have to come into a place of worship. And when when Elisha was able to get into a place of worship, even in the valley, you can still worship. Even in the valley, even in in your vehicle, you can worship. Even quarantined at home, you can worship. And when he was able to come into a place of worship, that's when he heard from God. And, And when he heard from God, the word that God gives him is so interesting. It's not... A a negative word, and it's not a, a defeated word. This is what the Lord says through Elisha. He says, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And then in verse 18, he says, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He also will deliver the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. In other words, every area that the enemy has occupied, I'm going to give you total victory over. This is amazing. God is now now saying, I'll give you the water Because, because you came to me for water. I'll give you the water and I'll give you the victory. So one, 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 one thing that I preached about years ago is how we often, we were, we're so focused on victory that we end up fighting thirsty. And that's what the king of Israel was doing. The king of Israel assumed that he was dead because he realized he didn't have the water to fight the war. And nothing was going to stop him from the war. And so he was going to run into war thirsty. And he knew probably that he was going to lose. And so many times that's what we do. We, we have a war. And I, I know years ago I, I had a drawing board and I, I drew out, uh, I marked out some things of areas of warfare. I had the church call them out and there was things like marriage and their teenagers and um, finances and the government. Somehow made it on there, we are in Texas, after all. Uh, that's so, you know, just areas of conflict. And I'm sure if we did this now in 2020, there would be even more uh, a- areas of conflict, racial uh, inequality and different things would come up on that board. We could, we could list all kinds of areas that we wanna see victory in. We, we talked about addictions. Somebody mentioned addictions last time. Uh, a perpetual sin that just keeps coming up in your life. And there's different areas that we wanna see victory in, whether it's social or personal or family. We, there's areas we wanna see victory And We can get so locked in on the warfare that we forget about the water, that we end, we, because really we think that water's on the other end of warfare. We think that if we can just win this thing, then we'll get water. What, what is water? Water is refreshing, water it has to do with your vitality. It's often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's often a symbol of times of refreshing. So we feel like I have to fight this thing in order to achieve that refreshing. Like I have to break through this battle in order to achieve refreshing when instead it's the opposite way around. God says, because you came to me for water, I will give you water and I will give you the war. I will give you vitality and I will give you victory. What is vitality? Vitality is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So often we, we think, hey, if I can fix my marriage, then I'll start feeling the love. If I can get my kids to act right, then there will be peace in the home. If I, can, uh, if, I can just, if I can just quit saying this or thinking like that or doing that, then I will have joy in my life. We think that the water is a, is, a, is a product of the war, which is why we fight so hard and so long, because we want, really we're just thirsty. Maybe that's the title of today's message. You're thirsty. You're too thirsty. We're trying to get the water from somebody or from a relationship or from a scenario or from a certain level of holiness that we think we can attain. But really, the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the presence of the Spirit in your life. And so what Jehoshaphat did, he said, look, let's, let's deal with this water thing before we go any further. Before we fight, we need to feed. Before we before we attack, we need to receive from God something that we cannot get for ourselves, and that's why the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the second, the first work of grace and the second work of grace are the works of grace and not the works of ourselves. Then we receive them. We receive them, and when we are when we receive the water, then the war comes along with it, and that's that's what happens in the story. If you keep reading, uh, he receives the water. Uh, well, first, there's this weird little part here. So in verse 19, God tells them what to do. Fill this this valley full of ditches because I'm about to send water. So all night they do that. And then verse 20, it says, Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was being offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Then all the, So this water came from, the, from, the, from the, the wilderness, that's Edom, from the desert. We don't know how or what, no rain, no clouds, just water came and filled the valley. And if they hadn't dug ditches, the water would have just run through the valley. And so what God was saying is I want you to prepare for the water that I'm about to send, not to receive it. You don't dig it to find it, which is why you got to be careful when you're preaching about digging because people think, oh, I got to dig deeper. No, you, you don't dig deeper to find it. You dig to be able to retain it. You dig to be able to receive it. You get stuff out of the way of your life, not so that God will bless you, but because God is already de- deciding to bless you that you'll be able to receive it. You'll be able to catch the water. You'll be able to hold the revelation. You'll be able to walk with the anointing. You don't, you don't do it to be anointed. You do it so that you can live with the anointing, so that you can walk with, you can hold it. Otherwise, the very water that would have fed you will actually wipe you out. If you don't have ditches in the valley and you just have a bunch of tents in the valley and a bunch of water comes through that ravine, it's going to wipe you out. It's called a mudslide, man. It's destructive. The Word of God can be very destructive. It can be a powerful force for good and for evil, depending on how ready you are to receive it. And so what God is saying is, look, I want you to fill this valley full of ditches so that you're ready to receive the times of refreshing. So all night, now these are soldiers, they're not construction workers. God will, like they're ready to fight a battle, they're not ready to dig a ditch. So they're taking their swords and their shields and they're transforming them into shovels. God will often ask you not to fight the fight you're ready for, but to prepare for the vitality that you actually need. So to use the weapons that you thought you were going to use against the Moabites, now you've got to use it to dig. And so all night long, these guys are grunting and groaning. They're like, here we are starving, about ready to die from lack of thirst, and now we have to dig a whole thousand ditches. And this is, seems counterintuitive, because the last energy they had, they thought they were gonna invest it into the battle. And God asked them to invest it into their health. Well, really into faith for him. This is what I mean by waiting on God. It looks a lot like all night digging ditches with nothing in them. It looks a lot like standing up in a watchtower, looking along the horizon and not seeing anything. It is not passive. It is not sitting back waiting for God to do something. You know, well I, well, I prayed and I asked God that if, if he wasn't the one for me, that God would just take him out of my life. You know? God's, God's not the mafia. He doesn't take people out. At least not like that anyway. I mean, it's not really how he, that's not, that's not seeking God. That's saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if God, if you want to stop me, go ahead. Just go ahead and try it. You know, But he doesn't oftentimes stop us because it's not waiting on God. To wait on God is to truly seek Him, to truly press into Him, to scan the horizon over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again until you find Him. To say, I am so sure that He's sending water, I'm gonna prepare before the water even comes. I'm gonna make space in my life to receive what He's about to send me. I'm gonna get rid of low living to receive what He's about to send me. I'm gonna get rid of low thinking to receive what He's about to send me. I'm gonna get stuff Really removing things out of the valley. It's already a valley and God's asking him to make it even lower. Just like, you've already gone low, now dig a little bit lower. You, to, to, to get rid of even more stuff, because that stuff that's on the top is going to block what I'm sending you. But if you can scoop that out, it'll create these deposits, these areas for deposits. So that's what happens. In the morning, God sends water from somewhere in the desert and it fills all of the ditches in verse 21, when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older, they were gathered, and they stood at the border. Now, the king of Israel wasn't planning on that. He didn't know. The Bible's given us some insight into a perspective that the king of Israel didn't have. He thought, we're going to go up over this, this ridge, go into the land of the Moabites, catch them off guard. But the Bible tells us in verse 21 that the Moabites were actually ready for it. And if they would have climbed up the edge of that valley, dying of thirst, barely able to fight, they would have been met by a bunch of soldiers that were entirely ready to fight, and they would have been slaughtered. But instead, and God knows that. God knows what your enemy is, the movements he's making, and he's asking you to stay in the valley. Now, it's hard to stay in the valley sometimes. when you just want to get out of the valley. But no, he says, there's something for you in the valley. I'm going to deposit something in your valley, that is going to not only feed your soul, but it's going to bring victory in the areas you've been longing for victory. So that's why valleys, you can't waste a valley, man. You can't waste a pandemic. Don't waste a, Don't waste a, a difficult season. Don't waste it. A, it. Remember, this whole thing started because Jehoshaphat said, let's ask God why we're in the valley. Okay, you want to know? because you weren't gonna get water any other way, and because you weren't gonna get victory any other way. The Moabites were ready, they're standing at the border. And so they get up early in the morning, and the sun is shining on the water, the, 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 the deposits of water all throughout the valley, the sun is shining on those deposits. And because it was the morning, it was, it was a red sun, a red sky, they saw water on the other side, they saw it red, they thought it was blood. In verse 23, they say to each other, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, let's go get the spoil. In other words, these guys couldn't even you know, uh, live together long enough. They started fighting each other. They've all killed each other. So they put down their weapons. They go down into the valley to get the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites, then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. They stopped up all the springs, cut down all the trees. Basically, they fulfilled what God had promised them. They had absolute victory. And I love that because victory wasn't accomplished by them and their determination to be better and to do better. Victory was accomplished by their willingness to wait on God. And by wait, I mean prepare for him to answer. I mean, work all night. So waiting is working. There is a, a difficulty to waiting. It's not just holding, holding out until the time comes. It's actually digging and preparing, so certain that God is going to answer you. So certain that God has an answer and that God is going to answer. That you continually scan the horizon. And that the next day you scan the horizon. And the next day you scan the horizon that you're so certain, and you're doing the work of waiting, which is preparing a place to receive what he's sending you. To receive the joy that he's sending you. To receive the peace that he's sending you. And it's difficult, because like, like we often attack things that we feel like we can win. We do things we feel like we can do. Which is why we don't often wait on God for water, because it takes us out of the equation. You know, how do you how do you get peace? How do you get joy? How do you get love, agape? How do you get the fruit of the Spirit? How do you develop that? Well, you don't. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So you can dig, you can plant, but you don't produce fruit. You receive it. You receive by faith. And that's what's so hard for us Americans to do to receive because we like to feel like we earned it like everybody who is in a particular place has somehow earned it or has worked for it what we what we work for we work for the ability to receive from God we work to put ourselves in a position do we work to get up to the tower we work to stand in our place we work to clear out the dirt and the, the, the sin and the compromise in our lives so that God can send his peace so that God can send his joy, so that God can send his love, so that God can send the fruit, so that the evidence of the spirit, when the spirit moves into our life, which is really water is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit himself, because it is important and essential for life. And out of that, so many things begin to grow. When water comes into your valley, so many things begin to grow. And not only that, but I just, I'm believing that God has absolute and total victory over every single enemy that we're facing, over every single stronghold, every place that the enemy has occupied, uh, he says, "Look, you're gonna you're, you're gonna throw a stone over that." Meaning, meaning you're gonna have rights there, you're gonna have authority there, you're gonna have uh, dominion there. You can you can walk there. That's your land, and it was always meant to be. Every 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 bit of real estate in your heart and every bit of real estate in your mind was supposed to be. Uh, uh entirely yours to enjoy to live in to have authority over <clears throat> under the lordship of jesus but when <clears throat> when the enemy moves in he builds a stronghold there and he takes over that land but i'm believing for absolute victory for my kids for my camu and madden and for you all as well um it's just been uh, a few minutes right now. If you're uh, watching this, or even those of us here in the room, we need to respond to God. And uh, uh, you can't get up in a tower on Sunday afternoon at, at 11.45, 49, uh, or 12.49, our time, I guess. That's not, that's not how you get up in a tower. It's not something you do on, in church, actually. Um, but you can make a decision. And that's what Habakkuk said. I will climb on my tower I will take my stand I will um, uh, wait on God so you can make all three of those decisions you can make that decision today you can say yep I will starting today maybe I wasn't doing it yesterday maybe I was at the beginning of the pandemic and then I got tired and got wore out but you can make that decision today so Lord we come to you in Jesus name and tell you what God's If God's moving in your heart to make that decision, I don't know whether it is to climb, to stand, or to wait. It might be all three. It might be one of those that you're dealing with. But I would encourage you, no matter what your age is, uh, that you would say yes to God. That you would say, God, I am going to, I'm making a decision today uh, to climb. I'm making a decision to stand in my place. Whatever my place may be, I'm making a decision uh, to wait on you to wait actively to work while i wait to prepare while i wait to prepare for what you're going to bring to my life and to and to not try to get water myself through through some kind of warfare because otherwise we just we'll just use you to get our victory and then when we have our victory we won't need you anymore Rather, Lord, we look to you. You are the source of our water. This is what Jesus said. He said, "Everybody who's thirsty, let him let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. I will I will I will burst something inside of them that they will become themselves will become a spring of living water. There will be this this constant flow in the Spirit in their own heart, refreshing them, refreshing their family, pouring out to those around them." Lord, that's what we want to see. We want to see the, the fruit of the Spirit exemplified in our lives through, your, through your, 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 your power, not through our own. We put our faith and our trust in you and your shed blood on the cross, in the empty tomb. We put our faith in you today. We decide We make a choice. In Jesus' name.